Welcome to Flat Church Lilongwe's Inspiring Sermon Podcast, where faith meets community. Join us on a transformative journey as we explore the word together. Stay tuned for messages that uplift and empower. Let's dive in. All right, uh, so currently uh, we're actually going through a sermon series uh, called Your Life, God's Canvas. Your Life, God's Canvas. And this morning, uh, my brother Zach is going to be bringing us the word uh, this morning. So let's hear it for Pastor Zach as he comes forward. And let's just, let just pray for Zach. Jesus, we thank you for Zach. We thank you, God, that um, yeah, this morning uh, you have entrusted him with your word. And I pray, uh, may you open up our hearts, Lord, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive your truth. And that may we move in that truth. I thank you, Lord, for your good. May your spirit be a covering for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Flood Church. Um, As Pastor Humphrey said, my name is Zach, and I'll be um, sharing with you this morning. Um, If I can ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. This morning we're going to read from Romans 12. Reading from Romans 12, Romans 12, starting from verse 1 to 2. Um, The word of our Lord says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this morning. Thank you for each and every person that is here. Heavenly Father, as we are in your presence this morning, I pray that as you're speaking to us, may we listen. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be with each and every one of us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We can take our seats. As Pastor Humphrey said, we're in week three of our sermon series, um, Your Life, God's Canvas. Your Life, God's Canvas. And today I'm going to be talking about Christians in this world. Christians in this world. And when I was preparing for um, this sermon, excuse me, when I was preparing for this sermon, one thing that um, I was looking at um, when, when you start to consider a canvas was just painting and work of art and just the value of um, paintings and art. Um, and one thing that uh, reminded me of this is just the value of something. Um, when you don't know the value of a thing, you can either misuse it or you can actually get the best out of it. So with whatever way that you look at it, um, however you value something, you can in turn uh, misuse it or use it in a, in a perfect way. Um, and with that, I remembered a story um, that was viral about a few months ago or to a year of a Nigerian fisherman. So this Nigerian fisherman went fishing with his friends and they caught a really big fish. Um, and then they were really excited, took pictures of um, this catch that they, that they got. Um, And as you do with any other fish, they went on to prepare a meal and, yeah, had a really, really tasty meal, if I can (laughs) assume. 
Um, but he went viral not because of how big the fish was. He went viral because that fish is a rare species. <laughs> that is worth 2.6 million US dollars. So they prepared a meal worth 2.6 million US dollars. And people were laughing at them because they didn't know the value of that fish. And they just ate it up and went on with their day. And as I was preparing for this sermon, um, when I was in the office with Harry and Tia, um, I, I was sharing with them about some famous paintings. Um, so the most expensive painting in the world is called the Salvatore Mundi, which is a painting of Jesus Christ. Um, this painting was sold for 450 million US dollars. Some can say, yeah, maybe because it's Jesus, so it makes sense uh, for it to sell at 450 million US dollars. The second most expensive painting uh, is by William de Kooning, and it's called The Interchange. Um, if you can see the painting, that is worth 300 million US dollars. And when I, when I shared that with Harry and Tia, they were like, for what? That mess. <laughs> because it seems like someone was just smearing paint all over. But for a painting enthusiast, that is worth 300 million US dollars. If we don't know the value of something, we can misuse it. Or if we know the value of something, we'll actually get the best out of it. Your life is a canvas that God is painting a beautiful story on it. And today, I want us to know that no matter where you are in your life, no matter the season or the times that you're going through, that season also matters to God. It doesn't matter how big or small that season you're going through it seems, but it really does matter to God. So today, I want us to look at four insights from this story and that will help us to understand um, as we're navigating through this world as Christians. I want us to look at four insights. The first one that I want us to look at is God's mercy. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy to submit your lives as a living sacrifice. Um, the kids here, we're, we're talking about a story of Abraham. And when we're talking of sacrifices, we can't forget the story of Abraham. Abraham was promised to be the father of nations. Um, and when Isaac was the only son that he had, he was given a task. And he was asked to sacrifice Isaac. So one thing that I want us to remember when we're talking about sacrifices is just how a sacrifice involves us being obedient and also being dedicated. A sacrifice involves us being obedient and dedicated. When Abraham was called to sacrifice Isaac, he did not question God. He obeyed what God told him. And the next thing that he was told to do was to go to a far place for him to sacrifice Isaac. And he was dedicated in doing that. And for us as Christians, and, and as we are walking through this earth, we are called to be living sacrifices. So therefore, we are called to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. Not only that, but we're also called 
to be dedicated. Because most of the times we go through life and we make so many plans and it, it seems like God is actually intervening with our plans. But God actually wants to invite us into his plan. And his plan is for us to be a living sacrifice. It's for us to continue living for him. Being dedicated to him. Being obedient to what he's calling us to do. So are you daily living your life as a living sacrifice? Holy and pleasing in the sight of God? Or maybe you're just doing things randomly hoping that something, something good will come out of it. But God is calling us to live as a living sacrifice. The second, um, the second insight that I want us to look at is true worship. True and proper worship. Uh, Paul here is trying to highlight um, the essence of true and proper worship. And he says that true and proper worship is not only one that goes through the rituals or the ceremonies where we come here and the worship band is, is singing and we're raising our hands. Some of us will cry. Maybe some get goosebumps when they're at it. It's not in that. True and proper worship is a life that is fully surrendered to God. It's a life that is fully surrendered to God. And most of the times for us, it feels like I make the plans and then I invite God in just to bless whatever that I have already planned. It's like God is just there for a stamp of approval or just to endorse the plans that I have. But a true and proper worship is a life that is fully surrendered to God. Because as we're living in this world as Christians, we are not living for ourselves. So every aspect of our lives is supposed to be an act of worship. So whether it's you saying, I'm tired of this country and I want to run away from everything that's happening, I need to get a visa to go wherever you want to go. Like that by itself is something that you need to present to God. Like, God, I am trying to make this move in my life. It's not that you are calling God just to bless whatever it is. Whether it's your next job, God is supposed to be there making those choices with you and those decisions with you. You and God together, not just you making choices and then having God to come bless it for you. Whether it's you trying to get married or get a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It's not about God, I've found the right girl so right now I'm ready for everything to go on. But God is actually asking you to invite him into making those decisions. So whether you're looking for your next job, I know, the, I, know, I know the money can actually be something to motivate us, but also for God to actually show you where to go, where to place you. Because in every aspect of our lives, we need to worship God through our actions. Because most of the times we, we like to do the Malawian thing where if a president or, or any high profile figure is coming, we start to sweep around, we clean everything. If, if roads are messed up, all the portholes will be patched. Why? Because the president is coming through. And it's the same thing that we do with our lives. We sweep clean one area of our lives 
and we say, Jesus, you sit here. Don't move, sit here, and then I'll, I'll figure out the rest. And then at the end, you can just bless this. But God is calling us to say, no, no, no. I need to be in the mess of your life as well. Because that's true and proper worship. So you surrendering that mess, saying, God, I need you in this mess. I can't do it on my own. That is an act of true and proper worship. So where is God calling you today to be obedient and trusting him with your future? Maybe he's calling you to be more dedicated with serving him. Because that's the true and proper worship that he is calling from you. The third insight that I want us to look at is renewal and transformation. Renewal and transformation. So we see in this passage that there is a call for us to renew our minds. So this is something that is one intentional because many of us can actually attest to this whether if you have if you have struggled with any addiction or any sin just because you have made up your mind to say i want to quit this doesn't mean that will not come to your mind every once in a while just because you have told yourself i'm going to quit smoking today doesn't mean the urge of smoking it's just going to be cut off. Every once in a while, that urge will come through. Just because you have com committed to say, I'm, I'm done with this sin, doesn't mean that temptation for you to sin is not going to be there. But what needs to happen now is a constant renewal of the mind where you are going back to God, intentionally seeking Him, intentionally trying to learn from him, intentionally pu putting yourself in his hands to say, God, work on my life. Where you are renewing your mind each and every day. Where you are renewing your mind each and every second. Knowing that on your, on your own, none of this can happen. But with the help of God, you can actually do more. So right now, it's an issue where you intentionally take those steps to renew your mind each and every day so that you can actually be more in tune with God. Because by ourselves, we don't have the capabilities to actually love God like that. Our hearts will, will divert to different other things. But the passage is calling us to daily renew our minds daily renew our minds so that our minds can be transformed and we can be um, thinking in the same aspects as God wants us to be. Just because we have chosen to do the right thing doesn't mean the right thing will just happen by itself. The fourth and uh, final insight that I want us to look at is God's will. God's will. And um, we see that God's will is not something that most of us are actually proud of. Because maybe sometimes God has called you to leave certain things that you actually love. Maybe God has called you to do certain things that you are not willing to do because it doesn't seem like the cool thing. But being in God's will is something that 
is the most fulfilling and most pleasing for any Christian. As we continue to, to walk in this journey as Christians, our ability to navigate God's will is going to help us discern and actually be more in line with God's truth. And most of the times, as I said, we get to a, a space where you bring, you bring your request to God and you just call God to actually just bless us. Um, one of my favorite verses is in Proverbs, um, and it's Proverbs 19, verse 21. It says, many are the plans in man's heart, but it's the Lord that has the final say, or it's the will of God that prevails. So many of us make plans. All of us have plans, all of us have goals, all of us have dreams. And most of the times we make those plans and we have all these vision boards and stuff. And we just present those to God and say, God, I've, I've made my five-year, ten-year plan. So just, yeah, uh, feel free to bless it whenever you f you're free. But God is saying, many are your plans, but I have the final say. How are you trusting God in whatever plans that you have? How are you trusting God in whatever goals that you have? Because many are the plans in man's heart, but the Lord has a final say. And I can't say, and I can't talk about this without remembering um, Ephesians 3 verse 20, which says, And I know my God will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all I can ask or imagine. What better space to be in than to be in the will of God because my plans might seem big to me but God has far much bigger plans for me my plans may may seem like they're well tuned to me but God knows me to the core so whatever plans that he has for me they're well aligned for me so how are you trusting God in this this season because God can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or imagine so whatever plans that you have God can actually do more than what you're thinking whatever goals that you have God can do exceedingly abundantly maybe this is your season to trust God with your plans and as I was talking about paintings uh, I can't I can't go past the uh, the comments that Harry and Tia said. It's like, what, what mess? And sometimes we are in situations where we start to think of ourselves as a mess. And sometimes we start to see our situations and we look at our situations as a huge mess. And I can't, and I can't get the, uh, past the fact that if a famous painter would come in here with paint and a brush and start to sprinkle paint all over. At the end of all that, people will say, this is a wonderful work of art, some abstract painting. Why? Because that paintbrush is in the hands of a famous painter. If the very same paintbrush is handed to Zach, and I throw the same paint here. I'm pretty sure Pastor Humphreys will say, why are you making such a mess? But 
we've got a choice. We can either be the mess that God is actually working on, or we can actually be our own mess. So whose mess are you trying to be? Because when Pastor Humphreys was, was sharing the first week of the sermon series, uh, he talked about how Kate is an artist and how art is very messy. And sometimes we feel like, and it seems like, we're just in one huge mess. But God is actually crafting a very, very beautiful masterpiece in the middle of all that mess. But the question still remains, whose mess are you going to be? Are you going to be God's mess? Or are you going to be your own mess? And we, we can't talk about mess and actually not talk about Jesus because the story of Jesus is one huge mess altogether. But not just any kind of mess. It's a beautiful mess. It's a beautiful mess because God sends his only son to come to the earth. A beautiful mess where Jesus is born through a virgin called Mary. It's a beautiful mess where Joseph raises a son who is not his own biological son. It's a beautiful mess because the same people that he came to die for actually did not understand him or even accept him. A beautiful mess where his actual own friends decided, one of his friends decided to actually betray him. A beautiful mess where he ends up dying on the cross. But that beautiful mess found its truest meaning when on the third day he rose from the grave. Oh, what a beautiful mess. And God is inviting us into this beautiful mess where he's trading your mess for his beautiful mess, where he's trading your sins for his son. What a beautiful mess. And maybe some of us are in spaces where we think, I am beyond redemption. I am such a mess. God is calling you to say, I want you to be part of this beautiful mess. Because in any and every painting, there is mess. But at the end of all that, there is a beautiful masterpiece that God is actually working on. So once again, whose mess are you willing to be? Are you going to be your own mess or are you going to trust God with your mess so that he can work it? Because the passage says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let us not be held to this mold that the world is trying to fix us in, but to actually trust God to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or even imagine. So maybe you're there thinking I'm a mess. God is saying, I sent my son to die for you. Trust me with your mess. Maybe some of you are so, so much holding to your will and the plans and the, purposes, and the purpose for your life. God is saying, let go and trust me. Because he's got far much bigger and better plans for you and for your life. And maybe for some of us, all this doesn't make sense because 
we don't have that relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is saying to us, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Maybe some of you are seeking that rest today. So in whatever space that you're in, I pray that as God is speaking to you, may you listen. And as God is trying to work on that mess, may we not be resistant because he's trying to paint a beautiful picture in each and every one of us. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the finished work on the cross. Thank you for just how beautiful uh, that mess is and how we find freedom, oh God, because that mess is, is what sets us free. I pray, Heavenly Father, for each and every person in this room that is stuck somewhere. I pray, Heavenly Father, for you to actually release them, oh God. I pray, Heavenly Father, for people who are feeling like they're in so much of a mess that they are beyond redemption. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you set them free. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those people who are still battling you with just letting go of their will and trusting in you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that may they know that your will is good and perfect for them. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that may you have your way. I pray, Heavenly Father, for even the people that don't have a relationship with you. I pray, dear God, that you speak to their hearts this morning. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you release them from whatever shackles that are holding them captive. I thank you for your son Jesus, and I thank you for everything that he is doing in our lives, oh God, and everything that he is doing in this church. I pray that you be glorified, you be exalted above all else. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. Um, we have uh, prayer counselors in the sides of, of the church. If you want prayer, you can go um, to either one of the sides um, so that you can get prayer. But right now, I'll ask us to stand as our worship band leads us into a song. And we say thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And God, I pray as we dive into your word this morning, I ask, Father, that may you speak truth to our souls. And may we embrace the truth from God. And God, I pray that you help us so that we can walk in that truth. We thank you, Father. And I pray for your spirit to be so fully present in this space. That he can just speak to our hearts over and over again. Help us, Lord, to say yes to Jesus over and over again. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We thank God. Uh, before you sit down, um, we're going to read together Revelation 2, verses 1 to 7. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Um, and we're going to have the words up, uh, the scripture up on the screen as well. So you can follow as I read Revelation 2. 
to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You had the practices of the Nicolichant, which I also had. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I'll give them the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and have a seat. So, uh, so this week, I was uh, down with malaria. I know. And, uh, you know, malaria man, can leave you winded. Hey? It's, it's crazy. Uh, I was, uh, one day I woke up, I was like, no, I don't want to just be in bed. I want to wake up and, you know, make my bed. And I just finished making the bed. Man, I was so winded, I had to go back in bed, you know. That's how crazy um, malaria is. But, you know, I was, I was a bit frustrated uh, and, uh, this week because of that. And um, I think that was coupled with a couple of things. One was at the end of last year, I had some sort of sickness. And then I'm starting the year with another sort of sickness, another sort of malaria. I'm like, come on, God, give me a break. What's going on? And, uh, but one of the things that I was actually frustrated with was I had started these certain routines and uh, I couldn't do them because it, they, never, they never involved being bedridden. Uh, I needed to be active, you know. So I was frustrated with that, that I could not achieve certain things. And there are times in life that we fail because there are other forces that are against us. You know, we fail because there are things that are beyond our control. You know, this is not your own doing. This is because things were beyond your control. And there are times we do that. But there are moments when we fail, and more especially this happens, you know, in personal failure, that you fail because you actually made those choices. You made bad decisions. You made bad choices. So you planned to change the story and not tell the truth, and the whole thing has blown up in your face. You made this. You chose this. You know, you made a choice to text back. Now, you are cheating on your spouse. You made this choice. You know, you, have, you find yourself in this personal failure because you made a choice. You know, you should have said sorry, but then you chose pride over humility, and now there's a disconnect between you and them. You actually chose this. You made this choice. You know, you should have chosen uh, forgiveness, but you chose to not forgive, holding this grudge, and then the, that relationship, there's now a chasm between you and them. You know, that connection is no longer the same. Maybe you should have shown compassion, 
Maybe you should have been kind, but you chose to be unkind, and that relationship is ruined. And most of you can identify with this reality that there are things in our lives that, you know, we make choices of. And in fact, when we're making those choices, we are not thinking of how this is going to end up, right? And some of us are actually living in consequences of our own bad choices. And when it comes to personal failure, you know, you find yourself likely in two scenarios. You know, the first scenario is when you, you see a disconnect between who you used to be and who you are right now. And probably that's what's happening in this passage that we just read in Revelation. Like, hey, they used to be a certain type of people, certain kind of people, but now who they are, there's a big disconnect. You know, so you look back, hey, I used to pray, but I no longer do. And I used to read scripture, but I no, I no longer used to, you know, I'm no longer doing that. I used to be sober, but now I get drunk all the time and make bad choices. I used to be faithful, but no longer, I can't even trust myself right now. I used to be honest, but I don't think I am really honest with myself right now. So you see this disconnect between who you used to be and who you are today. That's one scenario of personal failure. The second scenario of personal failure, when you see a disconnect between who you are today and who you want to become. You know, so you see that I want to become this person. So you know your deep desire. You know who you want to become. You know what it is that you should be pursuing, that, what it is that you should be becoming. But there's a massive disconnect between who you are today and who you want to be. And the frustrating part or the sad part, it's not that because there is just this, this disconnect. The sad part is that who you are today is not even contributing to making you closer to becoming this person that you want to become. Like what you're doing today is not even supporting you or helping you to pursue the person who you want to become. So that's, that becomes the sad part. That becomes the hard part. But, whichever disconnect, some of us may find ourselves in both. Like, today we are not who we used to be, and because we are not who we used to be today, then we are not even closer to who we want to become, right? We may find ourselves in that. Some of us just may be in one category. But it doesn't matter wherever you're seeing a disconnect. Jesus offers you an invitation. And his invitation is full of compassion and kindness and grace. His invitation is actually what we call the gospel or the good news. And the good news says that your salvation is not dependent on what you have done, but on what Christ has done for you. That's the good news. The good news is that it's not dependent on the things that you have done. The good news is that it's all dependent on what Christ has done for you. I know earlier on, 
uh, you heard Zach as he was making an announcement about growth groups. He said a phrase, he said a phrase, fully known and fully loved. And we love that phrase because we've been using that phrase for a very long time. And it's, it's actually the gospel. You know, the gospel, the good news is that you find yourself in the presence of God who fully knows you yet fully loves you. And every single one of us need to be in that space, need to find ourselves in a place where we're fully known and fully loved. Your identity is affirmed in a place where you're fully known and fully loved. Your regrets, they disappear in a place where you're fully known and fully loved. Your condemnation vanishes in a place where you're fully known and fully loved your shame goes away in a place where you're fully known and fully loved your hope gets renewed in a place where you're fully known and fully loved when you experience the gospel the good news of Christ you find yourself in a place where you're fully known and fully loved and as I said we've been saying this phrase for like 16 years but then last year I was listening to a, a sermon by Timothy Keller fantastic theologian who passed away last year to cancer and he used this phrase you know fully known and fully loved and I was like team flood we're connecting that's so awesome but in expanding this point Timothy Keller said this to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, is a lot like love, being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. Let me just break that down a little bit. To be fully known but not loved is comforting but superficial. And most of us love to be found in this category. In fact, we tend to be in this category where you're loved but you don't want to be known. But love me, but don't, don't know my true story. You know, so we wear a mask. We want to hide. We don't want people to know the parts of us that we're not proud of. You know, um, I don't know if you did this in COVID where like you would see a person wearing a mask. And then since you're just seeing their eyes and you'd make up how their, the rest of their face would look like. And then they remove their mask and you're like, whoa, I didn't expect that, right? You get surprised. God wants us to remove our masks. Where we could be fully known, yet fully loved. And most of us love to edit our stories so that people don't know the true us, the real us. We want them. So it, it could be comforting to be in that place. In a way you're loved, but you can allow yourself not to be fully known. And then the, the, the other phrase there says, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. All right? To be known but, but not loved is our greatest fear. Some of you know this and you have experienced this where you have shared your story, where you've been vulnerable, but then you find that your story has been used against you. Like other people have taken advantage of your vulnerability and now you've, it's become gossip. You know? And, and that's scary. When, when you can like make yourself fully known and people are like oof I don't like what I'm seeing 
and then they walk away, right? That's our greatest fear. And that's why we don't want to be fully known because we don't want people to walk away from us or treat us differently now, right? But then he says, but to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything else. God loves us, but he loves us fully, even though he knows us fully. Even though he knows us fully. You just need to be loved by God, but at the same time, you need to be fully known by God. And when we don't let ourselves be fully known, you know, we are choosing to forgo a better story that Jesus is offering us. We are choosing to hold on to our story, to our old identity. But when you come into God's presence and say, I want to be fully known and be fully loved, you are saying, I want to embrace a better story that Jesus has for me. I want to grasp that. I want my identity to be redefined in Christ. So therefore, you're more than willing to surrender that story to God. So whenever you see a disconnect in your life, it could be a disconnect between who you used to be and who you are today, a a disconnect between who who you are today and who you want to become, whatever disconnect, the invitation is the same. The invitation is that you would find yourself in Christ. The invitation is that you would go to God and find yourself in Christ because God's invitation is not for us to become more moral. You know, it's not for us to be like, hey, because of this disconnect, let me like, you know, shorten the gap by, you know, doing good things and being a better person. God does not call us to behavior modification, but actually to to live a transformed life. That's who he calls us. And guess where transformed life is found? Transformed life is found in God's love. It's found in God's love. And this is why in this passage, you know, God says to this church in Ephesus, you have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. And he's inviting them. Find yourself in my love. And I think our walk as believers, our walk is that every single day we are taking a journey where we discover more and more of how much God loves us and more and more we respond to his love and then we live out his truth. That's your journey. That's your journey. Now, before I go on to see the instructions that that God gives to this church, I want to just read verse 4 and 5 again. Uh, He says, Yet I hold this against you, forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Now, I was pretty baffled by this because before this, what God says to this church is that it's just a list of things that this church is doing well, right? Like, and then, but then he's saying, but you have forsaken your first love. How can you forsake your first love when you are loving justice? Because they were loving justice, these guys. 
How can you forsake your first love when you're hardworking, when you're persevering, when you're being resilient in the face of hardship, when you can, you can discern between a true and a false prophet? So what are you saying they have forgotten their first love? But it is possible that you can work hard. It is possible that you can persevere. It is possible that you can love justice and fight injustices. It is possible that you can make right judgments and discern well between who is a true prophet and a false prophet. It is possible you can be determined and, and having the never quit kind of attitude as you're doing the things of God. It is possible you could do all of those things, but having forsaken your first love. You know, essentially what God is saying to this church is that what you do has to be determined by who you love. That's what God is telling this church. What you do has to be determined by who you love. If God isn't who you love, when you're doing all of these things, you might think that you are standing, but you are actually falling. And to God, you have already fallen. What you do has to be determined by who you love. Or maybe to represent the gospel well. What you do has to be determined by the one who loves you. By the one who loves you. Because we know that our love for God is actually a response to his love for us. Uh, in 1 John 4 verse 19, he says... We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And often we do things for God. We do things for God first. But God says, actually, we need to shift that. I wanted to love me before you do things for me. Your love for God must supersede what you do for God. In other words, love first and did second. That's what God is telling them. And most of us want to start with, its, with the deeds. But he says, no, let's start with the love. Because this is where you're going to find yourself. So he says, you have forsaken your first love. And then he tells them to, first of all, remember where they were. And then to repent. And he says, if you do not repent, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to remove a lampstand from you. Now, a lampstand represented the church. This is so serious. Them forsaking their first love is so serious to God. That God says, you are not worthy to be my church or to be called a church if you have forsaken your first love. That's how serious this is. And every single time you disobey God is because in that moment you lost sight of your first love. So he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So we're going to look into that verse 5 on things that God recommends. His call when we have experienced personal failure. What is God's call on our lives? What is God's call on our life? How does God respond to personal failure? Call number one, confess it to fix it. Confess it to fix it. 
the start of verse 5 there, consider how far you have fallen. Consider how far you have fallen. This is a call to remember. Remember who you used to be and who you are now. And see that disconnect. Then you see how far you have fallen. So consider it. And for you to do that, it's going to lead you to confession. For you to fix what's happening here, you have to confess it. And I've said it here so many times. You can't fix what you can't confess. You can't fix what you can't confess. You have to be willing to confess it for you to fix it or for God to fix it. You know, confession is naming your reality and your, your reality is never going to change if you're not willing to name it. Where you come to a place of saying, I need help. I need God. I need his mercy right now. So you will confess your sin. You will confess whatever it is that's happening with you. So confess your sin. Most of you know my story that I've shared here. That I came to know Jesus when I was very young and in all my teenage years I followed God, followed Jesus. Until when I was 22 years old then I lost my way. In fact for me I moved from being angry at God and started hating God completely and I had nothing to do with church, God, Jesus for a period of two years. So I lived my life as though God never existed before in my life, as though God never had a say in my life, as though God is not, as though God does not exist. But by his grace, he called me back to himself. And I remember that day, and one of the things that happened to me was by his grace, he showed me my life in reverse, where I had to look back to this kid who used to love God, used to love Jesus, and then to this man who is so different in this dark place. And for the first time, I saw myself of how far I have fallen, for the very first time. The other times I was just living my life as though there was nothing wrong. Nothing wrong at all. But when I remembered, when I considered who I used to be, I broke down that day. And for the first time, I confessed my sin. We can't face, uh, we cannot face our struggles if we are unwilling to confess them. Unless you confess it, you will not be willing to face it. You will not be willing to face it. You know, like being a pastor, I do a lot of pastoral counseling. And I, and I remember, you know, spending time upon time where I would sit across somebody and I would spend my time convincing them to change. Convincing them, like, hey, what, what you're doing? This is not right. This is what you should be doing. But you know what? What I've learned, if they're not willing to face it, they're not going to change. If they're not willing to confess that this is sinful, they're never going to change. Your unwillingness to confess your struggles sends a message of your unwillingness to face your struggles. If you're not willing to, to confess it, you are unwilling to face your reality. When you confess, you come to a place of openness. 
when you confess, you come to a place where you open yourself to God. In other words, confession leads you to a place where you could be fully known so that you could be fully loved. Fully known and fully loved. So God says to this church, consider how far you have fallen. Consider how far you have fallen. Maybe that's something for you. Maybe there's something for you. Maybe that's something for you to consider today. How far have you fallen? But you're never going to know until you consider where you used to, who you used to be, where you were. Do you see a disconnect between who you used to be and who you are today? Consider how far you have fallen. And if you, are, if you come to that place, confess it so that God can fix it. Confess it so that Jesus can fix it. Call number two, change it to see it. Change it to see it. The second part of verse five, it says, repent and do the things you did at first. Repent and do the things you did at first. After confession comes repentance. After naming your reality, then comes repentance. If you want anything to look different in your life, if you're not proud of the life that you're living right now the thing that's gonna bring change in your life is repentance repentance is the key to transformation if transformation is the door that you want to enter in then repentance is the key to open that door so you're gonna go to it because you repent what you don't want to repeat you repent what you don't want to repeat. And repentance actually means change of mind, where you change your mind. In fact, in Chichewa, we have a better word for repentance, which means tembenuka. Turn around 180 degrees. Tembenuka, turn around. Repent. Repent. Now, I think I want to say something about repentance. We often look at repentance uh, just in terms of it just being an event. You know, so often this event is through just prayer, you know, so like, God, I repent of my sin. You know, we're thinking he's saying even that word, right? Repent of my sin, I'm good, right? I'm good. But I think repentance is not just an event. You know, I think repentance, repentance is both an event, but also at the same time a process. It's also a process. You know, repentance is a decision that you make. But it is also a process you go through. A process you go through. It is a decision you make because it means change of mind. But then repentance is not just changing of mind. It also means changing of a lifestyle. Changing your ways. That is repentance. Now that becomes a process because some of us know that there are some things that does take a while for us to get there. Right, we have to go at this for a little bit longer. We have to go through this process. There are some areas of our lives that some of us are yet to find victories in. But are you repenting? I think we never stop to repent. When you just consider repentance just an event, then you're just gonna do it once and that's it. But actually, we should carry on the attitude of repenting that we should be repenting our lives. Because what happens is that 
When you repent of your sin, what you're doing is that you are embracing the love that God has for you. And the more you find yourself in God's love, the more you begin to discover other things that are displacing God's affection in your life. The more you find yourself in God's love, the more you're going to see the idols that you're hoarding in your life. Things that come in and demand God's affection in your life that you have to begin to detach yourself from. So that process never ends. That process never ends. You know, you will repent of something today and then you choose to walk on that path and you begin to discover other things that God wants you to detach from. You know, this is why there are some things that God is demanding from you that he's not demanding from them, that you have to detach yourself from. It's a process that's happening right now it's a process and i think it never ends we have to keep repenting we gotta keep going we gotta keep going so if you want to see it you gotta change it if you want to experience it if you want to experience transformation in that area of your life you gotta be willing to repent are you willing to repent to change your mind now finally leave it to test it leave it to test it and he says, repent and do the things you did at first. This is God's call to the church saying, repeat. Repeat the things you used to do. You know what's good. Go back to that. Go back to that which is good. Repent. Repent of your sin. And if you want to experience it, you got to leave it out. If you're an experience it, you gotta live it out. <clears throat> I think the invitation from God, when God says change your ways, repent, when God says confess, I think God does not just invite us to confess for the sake of confessing. I think God never just invites us to repent for the sake of repenting. I think there's a purpose, there's a reason why you should confess your sins. Because when you confess and repent, you're finding yourself in God's love. And there you find your purpose. Where you find your purpose. So I think from this passage, what we are seeing is that there are probably two purposes why God is saying to this church, repent and change your ways. And I think the first purpose is, is around kingdom impact purpose, around the kingdom impact purpose. So he says, the last part of verse 5, if you do not repent, if you do not, this is a consequence, if you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now remember, a lampstand represents the church. So God's saying, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove that. In other words, you're not fit to be the church, right? What does the church do? The church becomes the light of the world. The church becomes the light of the world. And the only way where the church is going to make the impact, kingdom, kingdom impact into the world is when the church continues to find itself in God's love. When we continue to find ourselves in God's love, that's when we're going to make that kingdom impact. Because then we become the light that God wants us to become wherever we are at. But if you're going to do this, because these guys were doing good deeds, right? We have discovered that. They were 
fighting injustices. They were like discerning well and, and, and being passionate and doing all of those things. But those things were outside God's love. And they were never going to make any kingdom impact. So if you want to make a greater impact in God's kingdom, you got to be willing to find yourself in God's love. So change, not just for the sake of changing, change so that you can have a greater impact on your community, on this city. And God want to work through you. You are the light of the world. And I think the second purpose to this is so that they could enjoy communion with God. They could enjoy communion with God. You know, he says, the last verse 7, to the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God, which is the paradise of God. You are being changed so that you can dine with God. You're being changed so that you can eat from the tree of life. And when you eat from the tree of life, guess what happens? You become alive. You become alive. And outside God, you're dead. That's the gospel. Outside Jesus, you're dead. That's the gospel. But when you are in Christ, you taste the tree of life and you become alive in Christ. So repent of your sin. Repent of your sin. So that you can enjoy communion with God. Uh, I think it was like two weeks ago, I have a couple here, Rick and Ruby, who often prays for me uh, every week. And it's, it's, it's a huge blessing to me when people do that. Um, so one day, I think God had just had put an impression on Ruby to pray for me. Um, and as she was praying, uh, she sent me a message to just encourage me uh, and said, I don't know why I'm sharing this with you, but I got encouraged. And she shared a story of this um, minister of the word who was frustrated with God. Like he felt that God was very far. Uh, he felt that God was not really closer to him. He couldn't sense or feel God's presence. So he became very, very angry with God. Uh, and then he took some time away. And after taking some time away, he decided to just spend some more time in God's presence. Maybe that's going to help him uh, to get closer to God. And as he, as he was there, he got an impression from God. Now, I come from a charismatic background. I'll say God told him uh, these words. So God said, above all, I desire your friendship. If saving me interrupts and disrupts our friendship, I would rather you go back to your business and continue to be my friend. Your friendship is more important to me than all your acts of service. Your friendship is more important to me than all your acts of service. God's presence should excite you more than the things that you do for God. Enjoy my presence. So you're going to change so you can enjoy more of God. You're going to repent and confess your sins so you can enjoy more of God. Now, when we are talking about the first love, I think most of us go to the things we do. You know, go to the things we do. So I, you know, I used to pray more. I used to read my Bible more. I used to serve God more in these ways, but I'm no longer doing all of that. And, and I think that's what, it's not what this passage is, is telling us. And also all of us, or most of us, tend to romanticize the past. You know, you look back and be like, yeah, those 
those good old days, right? We tend to, to say that. Like, we're going to be talking about this moment in 10 years, like, oh, those good old days, right? Right now. But your first love is God. That's it. Your first love is God. And God's call to you is that you would find yourself in Him. You'd find yourself in Him. And when you go and find yourself in God, you will find that your condemnation is going to vanish because in that space, you will realize that you're fully loved, you're fully known and fully loved in God's presence. You are not your mistakes. You are not your regrets. God loves you. Would you close your eyes for a moment? God is for you. God loves you. You have messed up, yes. But when you live outside God, when you live outside His love, when you live outside this truth of realizing that God is only your first love, you will find yourself feeling condemned. You'll be lost in your shame. You'll be lost in your regrets. But Jesus gives you an offer, and His offer is better. Where He says, find yourself in my love. And the good news is that whenever you make a choice to love God, you will find out that He first loves you. That He went first. Oh, God always goes first. God loves you so much. God loves you. He is for you. He's never against you. He is for you. So just take a moment right now where you can come into God's presence. If you have to confess your sin, go ahead and confess it. If you have to repent of your sin, go ahead and repent it. And just ask Him, just pray, God, I want to find myself in your love. I want to find myself in your love. Just take a moment and just pray for yourself. embraces you. Jesus embraces you. He's for you. Now you could be here and you, you have no connection with God. You have no relationship with Jesus. You have never given your life to Jesus. You could be here and you you know that you're still lost. You know that you don't have a connection with God. And I want to ask you if you're willing to cross that line of faith today to just come to God because God wants to love you fully. If you're willing to let Him know you fully. If you're willing to say, I'm coming God. Know me. And He's willing to love you. So maybe... Just take a moment where you can pray a simple prayer. 
If you want to cross the line of faith, just, just pray, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Just pray that simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. If you want to cross the line of faith, if you want to have a connection with God, if you want to give your life to Jesus, just pray that simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. If you have prayed that prayer, I want to pray with you. Just raise your hand. If you have prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Thank God if we have more. If there's anybody else, just raise your hand. I want to just pray for you and with you. God, I thank you for these brothers and sisters. I thank you, God, for you are for them. I thank you, Father, for you say, you are mine. You are my daughter. You are my son. You can be fully known by me and know that I will fully love you. God, I pray that in you they will find that you never use their sin against them. That you are a God who is for them. You are the God who is committed to them. And you love them so much. Spirit of God, I pray may you help them to follow Jesus. And God, I pray for every single soul in this space. That Lord, we will choose every day to find ourselves in God. Because that space is where we are fully known, yet fully loved. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, we have Bibles that we give um, to those that have given their life to Christ that you could get at the end of the gathering. You can go to our connection desk and we'll give you a free Bible. But this week, I hope you can make a choice to continuously, every day, be finding yourself in His love. May we stand as we worship God one more time.